The time has come. Execute Order 66. Welcome, baseball fans, to episode 66 of the Banish to the Pen podcast, a group baseball blog produced by fans and obsessed fanatics of the website Baseball Prospectus, and most specifically, their daily podcast, Effectively Wild. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the baron of all baseball podcasts. This week's show, I am very proud to have uh, two regulars of the podcast, two regulars of the website. I've got Nick Koss on the line with me, and I've got Nick Strangis on the line. Nick and Nick, welcome back, guys. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Good to be here. To this is uh, yeah, going to be interesting. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to keep it straight, but uh, at 10 a.m. with no coffee, I'm uh, definitely uh, working a little bit of a uh, – I'm, I'm at a disadvantage. So uh, if I end up calling you guys by your last names, uh, I apologize and no disrespect intended. So, uh, That's good. But let's start the way we start every week. Um, let's introduce ourselves. I think people know me, but let's start uh, maybe alphabetically with Nick Koss. Uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Um, uh, day job, where they can find you on Twitter. Anything you want to share? Awesome. Well, thank you, Ryan. And don't worry about calling me by my last name. A lot of my friends do, so you know I'm used to it. Um, so I am actually just wrapping up my undergrad at Northeastern in finance and marketing. I actually I finished and. About a week here, just got to get through finals. Um, you can find me on Twitter at CostaBoss34, and um, it's 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 been a it's been a really hard week to really focus on classes for me. I'll I'll just say that I'm a big Red Sox fan. So. Yeah, you guys haven't done much this week, right? Oh wait, there was a couple of deals. My fault. The Mitch Moreland <laughs> deal, right? I mean, that's what everyone's a buzz about. Yeah, huge news. Tyler huge Thornburg, news. we got to break that down. So. Uh, uh, Nick Strangis, please, uh, same thing. Please introduce yourself and uh, all that good stuff. Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CapsOrphans. And um, I write for BanishToThePen.com. Um, pretty much it. And I'm a, a fan of the, the Cubs. And, uh, you know, I also talk about the Braves for um, Banished to the Pen since I, I lived down in Atlanta. How's that stadium going, by the way? I always like to ask you when, uh, when I get you on. Yeah, it's it's coming up. They they've outlined. I, I don't know where they're supposed to be right now, to be honest. But they've like outlined the infield in the dirt. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I think they're getting. I mean, they. I guess the grass must be seeded. No, if they're gonna sod, I guess they're not gonna seed. That doesn't make any sense. So I guess they're kind of on the on the field side, where they need to be at this point. Like it's ready for the grass. It looks like. So it's and then as far for... as the stands, I'm not sure. So it's going to be see. ready for opening day, though, it sounds like. I, I think, yeah, I think the field is going to be ready for opening day. As far as the rest of it's concerned, you know, you don't have to be 100% there as long as you have, you know, safe seating for, you know, maybe 25, 30,000 people at, at worst. You want to get, you know, a lot more than that, obviously. But, um, yeah, I, I, it looks to me like they're, they're on track and, and should be good to go. Um, the uh, football stadium, on the other hand, is behind, you know, by a good bit. So we're not worried about that, but, um, you know, nice. Taylor stadiums. Well, guys, uh, first and foremost, thank you for coming on this week. Uh, we, we've got, uh, I guess we're recording this uh, 48 hours after the conclusion of the winter meeting. So uh, lots happened. I don't know where to begin. 
Um, I guess we got to start with Chris Sale, right? I guess that's the biggest news in baseball, particularly uh, going to the Red Sox and uh, to Nick's uh, squad. Uh, Nick, first and foremost, how about we start with just your impression of the deal as a fan before we start breaking it down with players and all this stuff? Just shock, excitement, happy. What were the uh, feelings for you and for Red Sox Nation? Um, I was just, I was, I was shocked when it came across since it really seemed, you know, going into Monday night that he was going to Washington and, you know, just to kind of have this almost really just sudden change of events where, you know, he's headed to Boston, you know, um, Moncada's out the door. So, you know, that was just a huge, you know, to really see a top, you know, your team's top prospect and really one of the best prospects in the game traded was just it was just shocking just to see that but um i'm really glad they got for sale i think he, um, he's a good pitcher you know, there's some good hashtag analysis for you <laughs> but i think um you know and just to think that the reigning al cy young winner might be the number three starter for the red sox next year um i'm certain it certainly got me really excited for the 2017 season um, definitely kind of the first time I've been excited since, you know, the end of last season when it finally hit me that Dave Ortiz was not going to be on the <laughs> team next that he actually retired and, you know, kind of put an end to that era. But it's, um, I, I, I'm excited. I'll say that. So, uh, and this is the crazy thing, but it, you've got to start Rick Porcello on opening day, right? He just won the Cy Young, but he's their third best or fourth best pitcher. Yeah, and I'm and that's the thing. Like, who is the best pitcher on the Red Sox? Is it Chris Sale? I think you have an argument there. Porcello won the Cy Young Award, had a great 2016, so there's an argument for him. And then, oh, by the way, don't forget about David Price, who has been one of the best pitchers in in baseball over the past um, five six years. It's just it's um, it, it's insane how with one move. Really, their starting rotation has gone from um, the one of the weakest areas of the team to um, one of the strongest. It's, I mean, that's how. I mean, really, this deal turned a weakness into a strength pretty fast, and it's it's almost it's almost surreal how one move do that. So, what's your take, uh, Nick S? What What are your thoughts? I want to tag in here. Um, I you know thought that. Mankata was going to be untouchable, and I, I don't know, we talked about this before the pod a little, but maybe showing that he is so far away from being ready for Major League Pitching um, this season, do you think that probably moved the, the needle for the Red Sox a little more? Because it, it, it feels that way to me, and um, I am really excited that Sale's staying in the AL. That's awesome. Agreed. And, um, you know, the Cubs have those two guaranteed games against the White Sox every year, no matter what. So he's not pitching any of those games. So for the Cubs, this is a win, except for the fact that, you know, one of these days uh, the Red Sox and the Cubs are going to end up in the World Series against each other, and that's going to be a that's going to be a you know ridiculous World Series. It's going to be crazy the amount of talent in that series. So um, especially young guys, you know, um, it's not going to be the old vets. It's going to be all the young kids. So. Well, and, and Nick Kay, let me throw it back to you a little bit because I want to ask you just the price seemed, you know, the cost, so to speak, seemed pretty steep. I mean, they had to pay the rest of Mankata's deal, which is 31 million bucks. Obviously, giving mm-hmm. up Mankata, who's 
I don't know if he's not the top prospect in baseball. He's certainly in the, in the top five, depending on who you like. Uh, you know, Kopech is really interesting. I don't believe 105, but he certainly has a 100-plus fastball. He's got some talent. Basabe's the talented Basabe brother. You know, the last guy has got, a, got an arm. Just what are your thoughts on the entire package that's going back to the uh, White Sox? Um, I, I mean, it was definitely a very, very high-end package. Um, because all four of the guys were um, top 20 in the Red Sox system. So, you know, you know they gave away 20% of their top 20 in the system. That's, you know, that's nothing to, you know, that's not nothing. Um, but I really think that this was about kind of extending what's now appears to be a three-year window. Um, because Porcello signed for the next three seasons, Sales signed for the next three seasons. Price has an opt-out coming up sometime within the next three years. Um, and then you're going to have to start at some point figuring out, you know, between Jackie Bradley, Mookie Betts, and Xander, who, you know, who gets an extension, who reaches free agency, mm. and do you end up having to trade one of them away before they hit free agency? So I think, so I think this was, this move was all about really giving yourself the best chance in that three-year window. And kind of to that end, I mean, Moncada wasn't going to be ready until maybe midway through this upcoming season at the earliest. Um, Kopech's a far away away. Babase's 20 years old in single A. Um, so I think so I think that it was a very high-end package in terms of ceiling. There's really a high ceiling for um, all the guys in the package, but I think a lot of it's based on potential, and this team's ready to win. So well, I and- think if you were going to pay if you were going to give away this, you know, this big a package, it was better to fill it with kind of prospects and kind of high ceiling guys than give away a Jackie Bradley or a Ben Attendee where taken away from next year's team to add. That's a good point. And, and to that point you mentioned, uh, I, I think you make a great point that the window is, is about three years now because you start looking at that division a little bit. Tampa seems to be far, pretty far off. Uh, the Yankees are in the middle of a rebuild, even though if they won't call it that, the Orioles are kind of the Orioles. They're a mess, but they figure it out. And, and you know, Toronto is probably going to take a step back this year. So I, I think you make a great point. This is a really nice window for Boston to, you know, be the clear leader in the division. Yeah, and it's it, it's weird to think that because for so long the AL East has been just this bloodbath where you have three, four teams every year who seem to have a chance. So it's um. No, it's it's just weird to think that the Red Sox can be a clear cut favorite in the division. Yeah, uh, Nick asked. Well, and I mean, you yeah, could yeah. have uh, the Yankees sit out. I mean, not sit out, but you could have them kind of do what they're doing for a whole another year, waiting on that magical 2018, you know, free agency when you've got, you know, I mean, some guys will have extensions signed by then, but it looks like it could be a ridiculous amount of talent again so i think you know striking now for the red sox seems to be like a good idea uh and i would also you know what is what are they going to do with the starting rotation now sorry i was fumbling over my words but now it looks like they've got six or seven guys in the rotation is it buckholes that goes or do you want to break up some of the lefties in the back end with pomeranz and uh eduardo rodriguez uh where do you know what do the red sox do with the the you know their surplus of pitching so to speak um, I mean, I guess I'm kind of 
I guess my thought process is you're going to need seven starters at some point throughout the year just because, um, I mean, if you look like Buckleton Pomerantz, two names you mentioned, there are no clear bets to make it through the season completely healthy. <laughs> um, and also, I think, um, assuming that Price, Porcello, and Asale can uh, pitch seven innings a game and stay healthy throughout the entire year, like, or, like the old three of them did last year, is just a little too risky knowing what we know about um, pitchers' elbows. So I don't think they have to trade someone. If they were to trade someone, though, I would I would think it would have to be either Pomerantz or Buckholtz just because, um, I mean, Pomerantz is very affordable for the next couple of years, so if his elbow troubles are cleared up, he, I think you definitely can get can get some nice – you know, can get something nice for him in return. Um, otherwise, I mean, with Buckholtz, I guess probably the number one thing for him is is that he is only signed for one more year. So true. Uh, any, I just any buyer's I, remorse on the I, Pomeranz deal? Um, I mean, with how the pit, I mean, with how the pitching market's looking right now, I think it it definitely wasn't a bad idea to kind of stock up for the next couple of years and get a very, get a pretty decent pitcher on what seems to be a great deal, but just kind of with everything coming out about, you know, he might've had elbow trouble, elbow problems before, and it wasn't disclosed. I think, um, I, I think definitely they might've given up a little too much, for him, but I think the idea of acquiring him wasn't necessarily uh, a bad idea. All right. Uh, I'd love to ask you about the Thornburg deal real quickly before we get out of here, too. I think uh, we can let Mitch Moreland go, but uh, I, I thought the Thornburg deal was interesting as well. They gave up, I, I like Shaw, I think, more than consensus, and another couple prospects, you know, to further deplete from their system. But goodness, Thornburg is a heck of a pitcher in that seventh, eighth inning. Yeah, I think he, um, uh, I, I love that deal from the start. I think, um, I think Shaw is just, you know, he is a nice piece, but he's not. I don't think he's necessarily required, if only because you have Brock Holt, who can kind of, you know, play any position that Holt could. And Holt, I mean, not Holt, Shaw. Shaw and Shaw was kind of probably looking like he was going to be a backup at first and third come um, going into the season. So I think, I think um, trading him for someone who's going to be a great pitcher out of the bullpen definitely be the main setup guy until um, Carson Smith can come back and then you have and then once Carson Smith comes back you really have a good, great end of you know, end of game you can trot off from the bullpen so um, and I mean the two prospects including the deal were certainly you know good guys to have in your system but again they seem to be a little kind of further ways away I think it's pretty clear Dombrowski is really looking towards the, what's going to help in the next three years, not looking really anything beyond. So, but I think it was um, it was a good deal, and I think in terms of the value the Red Sox got in return for what they gave up, I think it was a little better than the Chris Sale deal. Mm, interesting. Uh, Nick S., just I don't want to say final thoughts on the Red Sox, but it, it kind of final thoughts on the Red Sox? Just – that they're scary. <laughs> um, what I'm really wondering about is Dombrowski 
being in charge there, I guess. Yeah, down the line, three years or so. I mean, if you get to the World Series two, three years in a row here, I don't think you, I would have any regrets if I were a Red Sox fan. But I guess my big wonder is what's going to happen when is he going to continue to be able to sign more, you know, elite young talent, um, you know, out of the international pool and out of out of the draft. That's what I'm really curious about. Since in Detroit, that was a big problem. Um, obviously, they had some pressure on in, in Detroit, but I just wonder how he's going to navigate that in Boston. That's a great take. That's a good point. Uh, Nick, I, I think maybe I'll give you the last word on the Red Sox, just their week and where they go from here. Um, I think just kind of where they go from here, I would like to see them maybe sign another arm for out of the bullpen, kind of rummage around in what's left after uh, after the kind of Jansen deal and, and what I would think is after that, kind of the scramble to sign what's left out there. Um. But other than that, um, the next three years are going to be fun. Kind of like what um, what Nick S said about after that. Um, I guess I'm just I'm just not going to think about that for the next three years. But there certainly does it certainly seems there will be a point in the not so distant future. It's going to be another couple tough years, but um, and this team's going to be fun to watch. I can't wait to watch them. All the young talent um, in terms of the position players. Hey, top-notch rotation and um the bullpen's looking like it it might be a little bit it might hopefully be better than what Dombrowski ever had in Detroit so gotcha all right uh maybe that's a good place to transition because I want to tag in Nick S now and I want to talk some Chicago Cubs first and foremost uh I need to give you a chance to do your victory lap 108 years or whatever it was I think uh you deserve a little bit of a yes chance uh. and a uh, Cal Ripken run around the stadium but uh, yeah, definitely. What was that like? I mean, I, I just as a fan, just the uh, whole. Just give me a little bit of a taste of what that was like. I mean, the the funny thing about uh, um, the Cubs winning the World Series is so. Like, I have a daughter on the way in February. That'll be the best day of my life. That'll be the most amazing thing the I ever get to be part of. Obviously, but the Cubs winning for every fan that's followed them for most of their life. That's like 30-year monkey lifted off all of our backs, you know. And for people who have been following them for 50, 60, 70 years, um, you know, it's a whole lot of failure that suddenly, you know, wiped away. And so it's a little bit ridiculous because it's hard to put into words what that, that kind of means. It's like suddenly you feel like anything is possible. Um, you know, I think I was just, you know, kind of emotional because um, – I've been following this team since I was, you know, four or five years old. Um, they're my first introduction to baseball, really, because of WGN. And um, it's something I've got to share with my, you know, I've had the chance to share with my dad and my mom. And, um, you know, my grandparents, who have all passed away now, they all knew how big of a fan I was. And they always, um, you know, were happy for me when, when things went well with the Cubs. Um, so it's, it's kind of a ridiculous mix of emotions. Um, I got to go during the, during the NLCS to Chicago and um, be, I didn't get, I didn't go to the games, but I be up there um, and, and, you know, be around what this means to so many, you know, Cubs fans and be around that. Is it a sense uh, of kind of community and yeah. Is it a sense of relief or is it more joy or is it some combination of both? It, it's all those things together. Okay. I mean, it's, it's like when, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, 
it's almost like when, you know, the only thing I can think of is like when someone's kid graduates college, something like that, you know, like it's all this sense of like, you know, perseverance. And um, I didn't actually do anything, obviously, <laughs> except, you know, to, you know, at some point choose to keep cheering for this team in spite of <laughs> all the mess they've gotten themselves into through the years. But, um, you know, I think joy and, and relief is, uh, you know, both of it. I was, I was pretty down in game seven, just like every other Cubs fan. I mean, I was balled up on the couch by the middle of the eighth inning, um, just, you know, and, and you know, mm. trying to keep myself collected because I was pretty upset. I, I don't know. You know, just like everyone has said already, I had no idea why Harold Chapman was still in the game. I had no idea why so, uh, Madden decided that Hector Rondon and Pedro Strope couldn't be trusted for a single out. Um, you know, I had no idea what was going on. So that's why I think the relief, you know, just seeing that, that ground ball all roll off the bat of Martinez, of, yeah, Martinez at the end of the game was, was ridiculous. Um, and then the fear that they were going to screw it up somehow. Right. <laughs> was uh you know that's that's the big relief and then just the joy for just like weeks afterwards i mean i walked around with a smile on my face for just weeks um because i couldn't believe you know that this had finally happened um because uh, uh, i was starting to you know negotiate the way you do in these situations like okay if they don't win this year they still got you know all these guys for several more seasons and <laughs> we'll figure something out and they'll be back again but to be able to not have to uh, settle uh, for a change is is pretty nice. Okay, so now uh, it's pretty amazing. Now that you've had your you know month of joy, now it's time to turn back to the field. I mean, I even think Theo took a month off to Bender, and now he's back at action. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's been a it, you know slightly underrated. I think the White Sox took all the the headlines you know at the winter meetings in Chicago, but goodness, they lost Dexter Fowler, which I want to get your take on. They traded Solaire, who was you know one of the first big. Uh, moves in the yeah. in the Theo era and they got Wade Davis uh they signed Koji Uehara who Nick Kay knows well yeah. from the last couple of years so uh let's let's turn to the field and your thoughts on uh let's start with the trade first and foremost Wade Davis for uh Jorge Soler I think it's a win-win really because Soler needs to play in order to get to where he needs to be and that's not going to happen in Chicago obviously um they've just got too many players who are already doing what the team needs them to do to, to win games. So going to um, the Royals, I mean, here's the thing. Wade Davis is, he's a reliever. He's got one year left. What are the Royals going to do? They're not going to re-sign him. You know, they don't have the money, given what guys are getting in this market, to sign the best, you know, closer on the market probably next winter. So they get back a guy, you know, what if he's not a star? Fine, what if he's a three-win player for the next, what is it, five years, four years? Four years. You know, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, four years. So the Royals, you know, have done a great job there. And the Cubs, I mean, yeah, you, you just don't want to, I think, bring back. Aroldis Chapman is, is a little scary, I think, for the Cubs just because um, of what happened during the, the playoffs. And, you know, there's just kind of, I think there's probably kind of a been there, done that thing with Aroldis Chapman and the Cubs mm, at this point. That's interesting. So it's not like he's a bad player. Um, I think there's just... Uh, a lot of signs that you know they've kind of been there already, and um, you know the, he's not the guy for them at this point. And um, I mean, the other thing for the Cubs is Soler could you know just end up a bench player for the next four years. So if he's the price, then it makes sense to me. Um, 
the bullpen is probably the one thing that the Cubs are constantly needing to to kind of work at because um, so many teams that they're facing now um, in the playoff situation have such you know amazing bullpens that can get the job done. Look at the Red Sox, obviously. You know, look at um, the Indians managed to put together something kind of special, and you could have a, a whole lot of other teams are facing you know that that look pretty pretty sharp. So um, being able to compete in those seventh through you know, ninth, tenth inning games is, is going to be, I think, pretty important to them again. Um, so I'm pretty happy with Wade Davis. Um, he's the guy I, I never would imagine would be in a Cubs uniform um, unless it was like a big free agent signing. But um, I'm pretty thrilled they'd be able to pull that off. Uh, Nick, uh, tag you in here. I want your thoughts on the trade as well and uh, maybe touch on Uehara a smidge as well. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think Nick has nailed it. I think it was a classic win-win trade. Um, what I think it does for the Royals, though, with Jorge Soler, I think it, it it allows them to get rid of Wade Davis and get something back for him before he hits free agency, but also lets them, you know, get back a piece to help them win this year because they still have their core intact for this year. I think with the way the AL Central is looking, there's still a possibility for them to get in the uh, get in the race for the top of the division. Um, and also, I think it gives them some flexibility to maybe look to trade um, Kane or Dyson because they're both. I think Kane's up after this year, and Dyson um, Dyson's up sooner rather than later. So, I think it was a great deal from their end to give them some more flexibility and still contend for this year. And I think I think Nick has nailed it. They they got their Chapman replacement at a I think a much better cost than what Chapman. That, than what they would have had to pay Chapman. Um, as for Koji, I think the Cubs got a really uh, got a really good relief pitcher who next time they're in the bottom of the eighth inning in Game 7 of the World Series, they they have someone that should be able to trust to go and get that out and not have to put Chapman in there when he's clearly tired. I think that um, I think that Koji's going to really help kind of fill maybe some of the leadership void on, on the team now that Fowler and Ross are gone, kind of help be a kind of older, better presence because the Cubs are still pretty young. Um, and I think he still, I think he showed at the last year that he still has some, he still has something in the tank. And to be perfectly honest, if, I think the Cubs, it's a one-year $5 million deal. I'm kind of wondering why the Red Sox themselves wouldn't pay that to bring Koji back. But um, I think they were two great moves by the Cubs. And I think it's, if you're a Cubs fan, it's got to be good to see um, Theo's kind of not resting. He's kind of not resting. He's still out there really trying to bring now the second championship in 109 seasons to Chicago. Yeah, Yeah, this still kind of dropped out of nowhere, right? I mean, you guys didn't read anything leading up to it or anything because I – I had no idea until suddenly you know, they were close on, on signing him. Little scuttlebutt, but nothing nothing like some of the other deals we've seen this week. Your point's well taken. Sure, sure. Not not huge. It just kind of like, you know, was like, oh, hey, you know, sign Koji all of a sudden. And, um, like you said, I mean, just to what Koss was saying, you know, the fact that they keep working, um, yeah, seems like a good sign when you, you pull a guy out of nowhere. And to build off both of your guys' points, I thought the uh, Solaire for – uh, Davis trade is one of the better trades we've seen in a long time for both teams. I mean, it quickly filled 
uh, Chicago's closer role, which they needed to fill, letting Chapman go at, at ten million bucks is a, is a pretty fair price, particularly for their big market. It's a little bit of a gamble if he's healthy, but I think that for the most part, you know, Davis is pretty good. I think you know what you're getting with him as long as he's fairly healthy. And Solaire is, I think that's a wonderful gamble for Kansas City. I think he needs to go play 150 games a year. They can put him in right field and just say, hey, go play. You know they're going to have good defense next to him with uh, obviously Gordon left and either Kane or Dyson in center, so they can cover up a little bit for him. And they've been trying to fill that right field void for a little while. They signed Rios. Uh, they've been looking around for a couple of years. I think they went Dyson this year. It's I think this is a guy that could be a two two and a half win player for the next four years for sixteen million bucks, and that's a really great value in Kansas City. I think going to a small market where he's going to play is going to be really good for him. And I think that Kansas City did a nice job of identifying a piece that could help them going forward. So I don't think either team loses necessarily, but I think both teams come out better than they were before, which is, what's that, the definition of a great baseball trade? So That's right. I mean, he's no David Lowe, but, uh, you know, he's trying. <laughs> right, exactly. Although I, I would be surprised if he didn't put together <laughs> six war in the next four seasons. So, like, oh, yeah, definitely. I think his, his, his floor is, like, you know, a, t- a nice two-win player once he gets to play every day. He just needs to see pitching. I mean, he hasn't had a regular um, guaranteed spot in the lineup for a while for the Cubs. Just, so, like you said, um, bat him just get him out there. Yeah, bat him sixth. Just say, hey, go pick it a little bit defensively, but, you know, we understand you're limited there. And, you know, go hit us 270 with, you know, 25, 20 bombs. You know, great. So, sure. Uh, and also, I think kind of – to your point, Ryan, about um, needing Solaire to play every day, and I think Nick S. kind of mentioned this too, I think going to the American League is good for him since I think with the DH spot, um, even if he needs to take kind of a half day off, he you can still get his bat in the lineup, still get him seeing. Great point. You know, seeing pitching and really developing. So I think, you know, so I think for him going to the AL in that regard can be a you know little bit of a boost to his ability just to be in the lineup every day yeah i think solar and, and the other thing is he's he's been a little injury prone so giving him some days off and you know not forcing him on the field when he feels a little beat up you know he can dh for them and, and help out that way and yeah i just looked that up again his career ops plus is 107 so that's better than i think any probably any right fielder they've had for the last several seasons so yeah you know and, and i think for solar he he finds himself in a perfect situation now, whether or not he, he's going to sink or swim is up to him at this point, to, so to speak, and staying healthy. But, I mean, he's going to play 150 games in right field for Kansas City and probably bat fifth or sixth and just, all right, are you any good or not? So, uh, I guess to wrap up, before we wrap up the Cubs, I did want to ask uh, Nick S. just a little bit. What what else? Uh, I We haven't even touched on Fowler. Um, upset, upset that he's yeah. gone or kind of expected, for lack of a better way to say it? Fowler is, um, I think one thing to know is Fowler is beloved by the Cubs fans at this point, and I think people are just really happy. I've never seen a player only spend two seasons with a team before and people be as as in love with a guy as they are with him. Um, I mean, they accepted that he was kind of a hired gun, and I think a lot of people, there's more people that would love to have him back than see him play, especially for the Cardinals. But um, I'm just thrilled that he you know, got the chance to capitalize on on getting a great contract at the right time for him because he had some great years coming up as a young guy and they all got kind of ignored because he was in Colorado. Um, 
and now he finally gets a chance to uh, to make some money. Um, and I like I like the Cubs' new, you know, kind of outfield platoon that we're gonna see with um, basically John Jay, you know, playing some games in center field um, with uh, Amora getting the chance to to play himself up and uh, maybe eventually get that everyday starting job. Um, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun, and um, obviously you can't. You can't have eight outfielders on the roster, unfortunately. <laughs> so somebody had to go because uh, <laughs> I just don't know. I really I, this is going to sound crazy, and Ryan is going to it's going to hurt your feelings. But I hope that they they save some money up and try to make a run at Bryce Harper in a couple of years. Because um, you know why not? Like when do you get a chance to sign a guy like that, assuming he is who we think he is? So, so um, I'm okay if they if they keep shedding like a, an outfielder a year. Uh, it wouldn't bother me. Yeah, I love me some Almora. He he's a star if he plays yeah. every day for me. So, uh, final yeah, question. He's, the- he's going to be. He's already a great center fielder. He already started hitting for some power last year. I think he's going to be really, really good. And um, you know, he might not take a lot of walks like the other guys, but um, you know, right-handed hitter with uh, you know, a good chance to have a high seven hundreds, low you know, maybe at his peak, low eight hundreds OPS would be pretty awesome. Yeah, he was uh, my second-ranked player in that draft class. I absolutely loved him. So, uh, final question on the Cubs: What do you? Uh, what else do they need to do the rest of this winter? Um, I'm not thrilled with their lefty bullpen situation. Um, you know, being that they've got a Rule Five guy um, right now, and they've got um, Rob Zasinski, who you know is um, no one really knows what he's going to do at the major league level um, to date, um, and. Uh, you know, so we'll have to see about that. I think maybe that may be a an in season trade again with Mike Montgomery probably you know being in the bullpen the whole year unless something changes. Um, Brian Dunsing is another guy they signed. I expect nothing from Dunsing. I mean, there's your you know mop up duty reliever basically for the Cubs. <laughs> um, so we'll have to see. I think that lefty side of the bullpen is where where they probably keep working. Um, other than that, I think the you know the lineup is set. The the depth chart is set on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I think here's my hot take on the where does Rick Pacello uh, pitch for the Red Sox? I think the Cubs have three starting pitchers that I would take over Rick Pacello. Um, that's my hot take on the on the issue because I think Hendricks is talent wise their number three starter, and I think he had a better year than Pacello, and I would I would take him over over Pacello. And so, you know, I'm pretty thrilled with the pitching staff other than just let's get a lefty that can, um, you know, shut down some other lefties. I'm throwing a penalty flag. That's like a tepid take. That That's not a hot take. That, that's tepid at best. Okay. All right. That's fine. <laughs> but I'm teasing you, of course. So. <laughs> uh, Nick, uh, Nick K, anything before we uh, jump off the, uh, the cub bandwagon? Um, just kind of, a. Uh... Uh, with Dexter Fowler leaving, I think um, I, I think they're going to miss him. He really, I think, helps set the tone at the top of the lineup. Uh, but good, for, but but good for him. And I think the Cards, um, I think they probably like the fact that they were able to take someone from the Cubs. Um, but otherwise, I th- the Cubs are they're looking, you know, they're looking like they're going to somehow still be as good as they were this past year. And you know, they're going to lose Chapman and Fowler, so. Um, I, I'm, I just can't wait to see how the Cubs follow up their big world series, um, their big world series win. And also just for the record, I would take Porcello over Hendricks. So, um, we're going to have to agree to disagree there, Nick, us. 
Maybe, Sounds maybe, good. Maybe it was more lukewarm than tepid. All right. Maybe it was a hotter take than I yeah. thought. All right. Uh, in seriousness, I want to transition here if I can and move ahead. Uh, I'm going to flip the spotlight a little bit, and uh, I think we got to talk about the Nationals, my Nationals, and uh, if not the – well, it wasn't as big as the sale trade, but I think it was probably the second biggest trade of the week, bringing Adam Eaton to Washington for – Goodness, Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, and Dane Dunning. Um, yeah, that was an incendiary. Uh, I mean, people were freaking out about that deal. Yeah, and I want to start with so, you guys because how are you feeling? Let okay, me, go ahead. Let me start with you guys and, and the out. I don't want to say outside, but you know the perception. I, I'm guessing Nick S. You've seen a lot of uh, Eaton just being in Chicago and watching the White Sox games, but I, I would love to get both of your guys' thoughts on the trade kind of from a not-as-close-to-it perspective. Start with uh, Let's start with Nick Kay. Um, so I was very surprised when I heard about the deal because it seemed to me they gave up three of the four or five guys they would have had to give to the White Sox for, um, for Chris Sale. So I was, I was just kind of surprised because I, I would not have thought that Adam Eden would, would have gotten that much of a package. Um, I was actually I was pretty surprised though that um, Robinson wasn't in the deal coming um, going to Washington. Um, I was surprised it was for Eden and not Robinson when I heard there was a White Sox Nationals trade. Um, but I think for Washington at least the big you know, the big positive for them in this deal is that they really upgraded shortstop by bringing in Eden. So now Trey Turner can go play shortstop and. And Espinosa could be relegated to the to the bench, or Espinosa was traded or, last or, night. FYI, just FYI. Yeah, I I, I was just yeah. about to say he, you know, Espinosa is a nice bench piece. Lasted all four days before they flipped him to the Angels. Which, um, if you know, I, I was looking on Twitter last night. I I sensed you weren't a big fan of that move either. No. <laughs> I haven't written that one up yet on the site, but yeah, that was uh, I was not pleased. We'll say it that way. Um, I mean, I guess uh, you know, I guess the Nationals, you know, they did kind of, you know, they did bring in a good player. They, you know, made a, you know, they got a pretty good upgrade at shortstop, but just, mm, I, I, I think it came at a little too much of a cost for, um, for fans to just. Um, be comfortable with, I would think. Nick S. Um, this is a really interesting trade to me because I think Adam Eaton is a very good player. Like he's, you know, like 16 wins over the last three years. Uh, um, I think it could work out for the Nationals. Uh, I think you know some of the guys they traded aren't going to become the player that we believe they could be. Obviously, because that's what prospects do. <laughs> but. Um, I mean, Giolito, yeah, he could be, could be an ace, obviously, and and I don't know, you know, what, how that'll leave you feeling in a few years. But it, with Adam Eaton, he makes like no money until he's like 32 years old, and he's <laughs> coming in on his 28 year old season. So I see why he was so expensive, um, and uh, I don't know if I was the the Nationals, I would have a hard time not just going for it on this deal. Um, I think the White Sox clearly, you know, got a great price for Eaton, but I think a lot of people are under underrating Adam Eaton. Um, 
maybe he's not a great defensive center fielder, but he sure hits, you know, well for a, a guy that's, you know, he, he's not really a tweener, I guess, at the end of the day, if he's, you know, consistently 20, 25% above average, you know, as far as OPS plus is concerned. Um, so I, I um, have a hard time saying that this is like a, a terrible deal for the Nationals. Um, I, I don't know if I like it, I guess, on the other hand. Um, I think that given the amount of resources they gave up for Eaton, you might be able to divide and conquer is, I think, more what I would have tried to do or wanted them to do if I were a fan of the Nationals. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to you, Ryan, um, but take some of those guys and, um, you know, piece it out a little bit. Um, cause it's, it's, a, it's a crowded outfield now, you know what I'm saying? Um, I guess Worth is obviously just, you know, getting pushed out of, of a job, but, um, or, you know, Turner, I guess, going back to shortstop, one of those two, but I, I guess what I'd rather see is, look, just do something with Worth, whether you have to release him or whatever. He's been terrible. Um, it's been three years, or it'll be three years since he's been good, and I'd, I'd rather see them make a commitment to, you know, making the team better rather than hoping that he's going to come around, and I think that's what's going on here. Well, I first thing I would say is Worth has been a hell of a lot better than Zimmerman. If I was going to dump somebody from that lineup, yeah. I would dump Zimmerman before Worth. At least Worth gave us 20 bombs and it, you know gets on base at a decent clip and works pitchers. I mean, Zimmerman was, was the disaster. But uh, I think you guys nailed it really well. I think, And I think something that's getting overlooked in this is Adam Eaton is a hell of a player. I, I mean, he's really, you know, depending on what you think about his defense in center field, I mean, like you said, uh, Nick asked, this is a you know a 115 120 OPS plus type of player. I mean he's 15 to 20 percent better than league average. He gets on base. I mean he's been 360 or 361 for on base the last three years. I mean very consistent player. Uh, scrappy, going to fit in well and all that good stuff. I mean I, I think people are forgetting how good Eaton is in this trade, and he's only going to make 38 million bucks in the next five years, which is you know in baseball terms that's not very much, and in real world terms that's crazy money but uh, and the other thing I think people are, are lo- forgetting about in this trade is Giolito is not what Giolito was 18 months ago he's just not the stuff is not as good the fastball velocity is down it's straight as a string right now whereas when I was scouting him a couple of years ago it was you know there was some movement and I don't know what's happened I've heard some scuttlebutt that he's not the hardest worker he certainly is not the most fit man you've ever seen it, so I think that uh, I mean, frankly, I think Kopech, who went, uh, you know, the White Sox, is a better pitching prospect right now than Lucas Giolito. Just, just my opinion. Uh, I think that's interesting. I think a lot of scouts. That kind of changes. Yeah, I think a it changes lot of scouts, the, the deal a little bit. I think scouts would agree with that take too. I mean, Ronaldo Lopez was the one that was being asked about in trade talks this week, not Giolito. So. Uh, that said, I, I mean, certainly all three prospects that were traded have warts. I mean, I think Giolito's going to get it together, but I think he's more of a three or four starter rather than a the one or two that we were projecting. I actually think uh, Rick Porcello might be a decent comp for him. Have a great year, but then have a bunch of years where you kind of look at him and you're like, why aren't you better? Uh, you know, Lopez... You, are you guessing then that's why the White Sox um, didn't, you know, weren't going to bite on Giolito as a centerpiece for a Chris Sale trade then? Hundred percent. I also think they wanted a bat to lead that trade, and I think that's why Mancada or Benintendi got it. You know, were what they were looking for. Trey Turner with the Nationals. I think they wanted something safer. 
you know, when you're trading your franchise best player, you got to get somebody back that you can really say, hey, the, this guy's going to be a stud. And I think Moncada's that kind of guy. Turner would have been that guy for them as well. But, you know, Lopez could end up being a reliever. I mean, his changeup is not great. And the number of six-foot righties that end up being starting pitchers besides Roy Oswalt are very few and far between. And Dane Dunning was the 29th pick in the first round this year. I mean, it, I, I love Dane Dunning. I loved him at Florida. But, you know, you, that's a guy you trade. He's three years away, and he was a late first-round pick. I mean, that's not something that should hold up a deal for an Adam Eaton. So I, I think the prospect hall sounds better in, in the world than it probably is to scouts inside of baseball, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and Absolutely. I think, yeah, and I think I like the point you made about how it was three pitchers. Um, I just, I think, and I don't know the, I don't know the Nats system that they have any particularly good position players, but I think if you're the Nationals, it's better to trade three arms than, you know, trade, you know, two of these arms and have to trade away an equivalent position player because those are certainly, I think, there's more certainty with them in regards to um, prospect status. So. Yeah, I mean, we just don't see the hitting prospects bust much. I mean, Jesus Montero jumps out a little bit as a guy that was a big prospect that busted. But for the most part, those offensive guys, you know, Dustin Ackley jumps out too. But a lot of those guys tend to – their rate of uh, hitting is a lot better, so to speak, than it is the pitchers. Yeah, at the end of the day, even if a guy doesn't hit as well as you'd hope, maybe he plays a little better defense than you'd hope or something. You know, there's a lot of ways you can come out of that okay with a hitting prospect. A pitching prospect, he can pitch or he can't. Um, yeah, that's all there is to it. Yeah, that, I think that's a really well said. So uh, I, I thought the Nationals did a little better in the trade than people thought, but going back to, I, I believe it was Nick S.'s point, yes, I would have rather tried to have done something different. I mean, I might, I might have tried to sign just Dexter Fowler straight up. I, I think I think that Carlos Gomez signing is pretty interesting in, in Texas. Now, I think he wanted to go back there, but that was pretty interesting. Even John Jay is pretty interesting at, at that price and, and at a one-year commitment, so... I might have preferred going yeah. another avenue, but that said, I think people are really underestimating how good Adam Eaton is and how perfect of a fit he is in Washington, even on top of that. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is, like, what are you going to do? You can have John Jay. You can have Fowler at that place. You know, Do you really want Dexter Fowler with, with that amount of money? Um, do you want – sorry about the barking. Obviously, the dog um, doesn't. <laughs> they're really excited about, about Adam Eaton. Um, <laughs> um, you know, the, the the options are just very limited right now for teams that are trying to acquire talent. Um, it's not a great, in some ways, it's just not a great buyer's market, obviously. And, and that may be the best point we've made it today is, like you say, there are very few teams selling right now. So with Chicago jumping in on the market with five or six really talented players, I mean, they have their pick of what kind of deals they want. And they still have... Quintana to move, Todd Frazier, uh, Jose Abreu, Robertson in the bullpen. I mean, yeah. that system. The Twins are doing them a huge favor by uh, not trading anybody and just standing still and sitting on their hands. So, not that they have a Chris sale, but they have some guys. You know, they could be pulling in some prospects and they're doing nothing. And uh, I know a lot of Twins fans are, are just shaking their heads right now trying to figure out what's going on. Um, well, they did sign yeah, Castro. I mean, the White Sox. The Brewers, you know, the Brewers have pieces. They're not, you know, doing anything crazy. Um. So, yeah, I would have sold yeah, high it's... on Villar very quickly if I was Milwaukee. I would have sold so high on yeah. him this winter. Oh my gosh! What? But uh, 
Guys, and also, in terms of the White Sox pieces, don't forget about Mel. Don't forget about Melky Cabrera. I think he could. Oh yeah. You know, I think if someone tries to acquire him, I think you're going to give up less than some of the other guys, and I think you're getting a pretty quality player back. So I think, you know, so the White Sox have plenty to sell. Good take. That, that's a good point as well. Uh, so are we done clubbing the Nationals trade or trying to prop it up, or uh, <laughs> we have anything anything else you guys want to add? Uh, that's all I've got. All right. Uh, well, before I want to move ahead, one more topic, if we can, before we get out of here. And I know we're missing a ton of trades and winter meeting stuff that happens. So sorry to everybody that if we didn't get to your team or your trade. But uh, I did want to ask you guys a little bit about baseball movies this week before we get out of here. Uh, a couple weeks ago in the last episode or two episodes ago, we talked kind of favorite baseball movies of all time. I, I shared mine. And uh, I, I'd love to get you guys' take on uh, you know a couple of your favorite baseball movies. Uh, let's start alphabetically. Sure, Nick Koss. Why not? Um, so I think my top two favorite baseball movies um, are Major League and The Sandlot. Um, I grew up watching The Sandlot. I Sandlot. I absolutely loved it. I still. Um, I have a. You know, I have a younger brother now, so you know, I definitely, you know, I definitely enjoy whenever, you know, you know, whenever I get to go home and you know, get to watch it with him. And then Major League for me is just, um, it's it's just it's just one of my favorite movies. I just, um, I I think it's got some pretty good, um, it's got some pretty good humor in there. It's got, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just it's a movie. The first time I saw it, I just really like it. And it's, you know, if it's just an awful day out and I want to watch a movie, that is, um, that is definitely one of my uh, top options. Mm-hmm. Um, also, no, I just. Um, I don't know, but re- I just recent I recently heard that the um, the actress who portrays the um, evil owner yeah passed away. So, um, so yeah, so um, so yeah, those are my I-, I would say they're my top two. I really I can't pick a favorite from one of from one of them, if only because they were my favorite movies at different points in my life. Who's your favorite character in the Sandlot? Um, I um I. I guess I always kind of connected to um, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, just because when you know when I was growing up and playing with the kids in my neighborhood, I was kind of always you know the the kid that was like a year older than everyone else. You know, so you know he's kind of like the leader there. I was you know, that's kind of the role I played growing up a little bit. Yeah, so Ben, yeah, so yeah, so Ben the Jet Rodriguez is my favorite. Um, I would say Smalls would probably be my second uh, my second favorite, if only because. I think we all can kind of connect, you know, with that, you know, the kid that just has a, you know, a lot of awkwardness in him. He just has to kind of work out. So. Good points all the way around. Uh, Nick S. I'm a Field of Dreams guy. I mean, it's just, uh. it's a sweet, sweet movie. And um, I think it actually kind of appeals to my sense of humor, even though it can be pretty cheesy at times. Just uh, all the dumb exchanges um, between, uh, you know, in, in Boston with Terrence Mann. Um, with James Earl Jones, um, kind of appealed to my sense of humor. Um, I am going to go out on the limb and uh, say, actually, like I don't know if I'd call it one of my favorite baseball movies, but I think that um, you know one, one of the most like underrated movies as far as baseball is concerned is Fever Pitch, just because I think oh that the baseball God. side, strictly the baseball side, gets to what it means to be a fan of a team like the Red Sox or the Cubs. Um, you know, the first thing you hear. Um, the uncle say that's bringing Jimmy Fallon's you know character to these games 
is uh, he says, you know, be careful, they'll break your heart. Um, and, you know, in spite of that fact, he keeps going for the next 35 years. And that's, you know, that's what it is. It's, it's crazy. It's uh, how addicted we get to, uh, to these teams. Um, so I've, I've come to around to uh, enjoying parts of that movie uh, quite a bit. Oh. And I just think that uh, it doesn't get enough credit. We are not sharing a Netflix account, my man. Man, woo. <laughs> oh, Field of Dreams is like my ultimate non-favorite baseball movie. I can't stand that movie. Oh, and then Field A lot Pitt. of people are over it. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Oh, that's so funny, though. That's just, it's so great that that's uh, such polar opposite opinions on the same movie. That's great. So Yeah, what, what's your take? Uh, what do you got, Ryan? Uh, I, I forgot what I said the last time, uh, but uh, probably Bad News Bears for me has come back as, yeah. as probably my top baseball movie. I just, I love um, oh, well, Tanner. I mean, I just love his attitude and just, he's such, a, and Kelly Leak and just some of the characters are great. I love that movie. Uh, and I am also amazed that you could not have that movie happen today at all with some of the language. It's, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I, I and keep drinking beer. Oh, and, and uh, just the way, cigarettes and the kids. way the kids yeah. drop racial epithets like it's nothing it's just it's extraordinary to me in this day and age that that movie was made i mean it's just it it's i mean you have to laugh because the shock value is just amazing living in this day and age so i love that movie i love uh sandlot obviously i grew up with like you said major league as well um you know moneyball has got a place in my heart just because you know i love being you know hypothetically acting like a general manager and that you know but uh, those those would probably be my favorites. There were some moments in Trouble with the Curve that were okay, <laughs> particularly anything with Amy Adams. But otherwise, uh, could have let that movie go. I, I've never you, seen it. I will probably never watch that movie. It's a that's my uh, it's online point. I'll say list, it this way: it's worth the hour and a half. I'll say it that way. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but I'm not sure you're putting it in the pantheon of. Uh, you know, it, it's about the same way as I would describe a Danny Espinosa trade. It happened. It's worth seeing, but you know, I'm not going to get fired yeah. up and watch it again. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I, I think I have a trouble with the curve shirt because I think it came out my freshman year of college, and they had people on campus like giving out shirts for it. So I think somewhere I have a trouble with the curve shirt. That's oh, funny. I don't think it's ever seen the light of the day. But... Oh, we need to find that and get the picture for the podcast for this uh, for today. We got to find that shirt. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. So with that, guys. Um, also, I just want to – sorry, Ryan. I just no, want no, to no, jump in here quick. Um, if you're looking for a good baseball documentary on Netflix, um, I watched this recently, The Batter, Bastards of Baseball. It's about this um, the Portland Mavericks, which were this independent minor league team in Portland, but they played in affiliated ball. They played against affiliated teams. Um, it was just, um, just if you're looking for something to do on a weekend, um, it's it, it's definitely worth the time. It's like an hour, hour fifteen minutes. But um, it, it was, I just uh, back I, that I, up. Yeah, I watched. Oh, I was just saying back that up. I'm. I'll go ahead. Sorry, Nick. No, I was just saying. I just I watched it recently, and um, I um I, I enjoyed it. If you're into you know baseball documentaries, that's the person. Yeah, it's probably my my pantheon of 21st century baseball movies we haven't had a lot of great ones lately but that's it's pretty amazing it's uh worth your your time very cool i've never even heard of it so i got to check that out thank you for the reco guys very cool. i'm sure anybody that's listening to this podcast and has made it in this deep is definitely would be interested in that uh anything else guys that's all i've got 
Yeah, I think I'm um I I think I'm pretty tapped out. All right, well uh, let's end the show the same way we begin it. Uh, Nick K, uh, say goodbye to the internet. Yeah, so um um it was a pleasure talking with both of you. I really um I really enjoy kind of talking about well what a crazy week it was. Um, yeah, so um I so you can find my work at Banners at Banners to the Pen. Um, I don't know if this was mentioned earlier, but I was one of the people who submitted an offer to um, Brandon Lee in an attempt to pry Chris Sale loose from him. It did not work out because my package, um, I was acting as a Red Sox GM. My package was nowhere near as good as what they actually got. Um, and yeah, and then you can find me on Twitter at CostaBoss34. And yeah, so uh, Nick S., I think, it's, I think it's your turn to say goodbye to the internet. Sounds good. Uh, you can find me at Caps Orphans on Twitter. Um, I also most recent thing I've done is is participate in the Chris Sale uh, sale, and um, likewise, my offer was nowhere near as good as what the real life Red Sox gave up. I represented the the Braves and tried to um, you know keep their core together while um, acquiring Chris Sale, and I think I fell a little short. So <laughs> that's what I've got. Um, it's up at banishedthepen.com, and um, I really appreciate uh, Ryan and, and Nick's time, and hopefully we can do this again next year when the Cubs and Red Sox have a face each other in the World Series. Hey, 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 hey. Easy, buddy. Going a little far. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. All right, we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, thank you guys, first and foremost, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, congratulations to you both. Uh, congrats on the uh, graduation coming up for you, Nick K. And uh, Nick S., I think you mentioned you've got a kid coming in a couple of months, so... Congratulations to both of you guys. Good luck with uh, everything that's coming up. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you on uh, certainly before opening day. All right. Talk to you guys later. And that was episode 66. Can you believe we've done 66 episodes of the Banish to the Pen podcast? And uh, with my special guests, Nick Koss and Nick Stranges. Thank you both for joining me this morning and uh, covering the Cubs, covering the Red Sox, Nationals, and uh, a whole lot of around this morning. So thank you very much for joining me, guys. Uh, Also, one quick thing before we get out of here, I would like to thank everybody involved with Manage to the Pen, the writers, editors, technical support staff, and everybody. Uh, A lot of people working very hard to put together a very good product on a daily basis. So bookmark us, check us out with your morning coffee every day, and uh, a lot of talented people uh, working at Banish to the Pen. So thank you for everybody's hard work. It's uh, it's definitely appreciated and doesn't go unnoticed. So thanks, guys. With that, we are done for this week. Remember, please be nice to your fellow listeners. <laughs>